Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening, Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. What inspired you to write your book? Well, this book comes from a place of darkness. I was experiencing a severe depression a few years back, and I actually wrote this book in the hospital. My doctor knew that I was a poet, and I hadn't written in a while and I was actually having a block and the doctor said sit down and just write and I wrote this book a lot of this book came out of my time in the hospital well you lift this veil on some really important topics that are rarely talked about how did it feel to do that uh, I felt very raw at the time, and I think that this collection of poetry is the most honest collection of poetry I've ever written. I was in a place where I didn't know if I was willing to live or die. I felt like my life was worthless, and I was examining it. I was examining why I was in so much pain, and I just wanted the pain to go away. And yes. and a lot of reviews on this book say that it's a really dark book and that there's no bright moments in it. And that's because I couldn't find any at the time when I was writing it. So it was really cathartic then to put it on paper in terms of what you were feeling and thinking. Exactly. And and once and once I had it all out on paper, I think that's when I was able to heal and and say, you know, look at these things that happened to me as a child and the things I went through in my life and, and say, these are things that happened, they're in the past, and they are now on paper, and I can let them go out of my mind. Well, please share a poem. I will, this is from my, uh, my new collection, Surviving Home. Uh, which is going to be out in December. It's called Involuntary Endurance. My story is not one revealed with chapter and verse. It is expressed in blood and bone. It is fingernails thrust into back muscles. It is razor blades pressed against flesh. It is told by how the shark swims through the ocean below a school of tuna, and it is not the shark's story. It is the school of tuna searching along the vast, dark, but sunlight-speckled ocean while knowing they have everywhere and nowhere in the world to flee. 
It is the brown bear pulling honey from the honeycomb in order to teach her cubs to survive on their own. It is not the mother bear's story. It belongs to the cubs who wander the forest without her after she sacrificed her life to a boar grizzly to protect them. It is told through hot cylinders of pain that sear experience into the skin. It is told in front of the sharp bayonet that sprays blood-red existence against the multicolored palette of the universe. It may sit silent and still on these black and white pages, but it exists in every tremble of my leathered hand, and it is smeared into every tear-stained scream that flows through my quavering pen. An incredible piece of work. Thank you. So powerful, and it it resonated with me on levels that I hadn't thought about. So thank you for sharing it. Thank you. Do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Uh, I I think that being a poet is more about not not experiencing strong emotions as as much as expressing strong emotions. Like you can write about strong emotions in a very separated state from your emotion and still be considered a poet. But I think that you have to be writing from some sort of experience of emotion. Like you, at some point in your life, you had to have experienced some depth of emotion in order to convey that. A lot of times before I went into the hospital, my poems I wrote separated from that emotional experience. I had to take a step away from it and then have some time for reflection and intellectual thought before I could write the poem. Uh, And I think doing that has some merit to it. You can think more analytically but I think you lose a bit of the emotion when you do that. As you think about your past, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language and prose had power? Well, I was an early writer. I started reading at three and writing soon after. And I often kept a little diary And I had been experiencing abuse from early on, too, for as long as I can remember from the point I was three. And I would write about it in my diary. And when I was about eight years old, my father found my diary, and I got into quite a bit of trouble for what I had written down. And at that point, I started writing things in a way that – it didn't specifically say what my father was doing, but it turned into where I was writing about monsters or animals that did these things and that we had um, hero- heroines that were bears often. Quite often I wrote about little bears. And that was easier for me to convey how I felt about things and poetry 
those lines then turned in from little stories into poems that were heavily metaphored. You know, some poets claim that a poem is, a, is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? When I write a poem, I feel like it that I've given birth to it, that it's sort of a child, a living a creature that grows and changes as more people read it and reflect upon it and as I read and reflect upon it. Sometimes I will read a poem and then as I become attached to that poem, or I, I start to grow to love poems. You know, some poems you write and then they're done. And then some yes. poems you start to have a relationship with. And those poems, I, I tend to change or, or add other poems to. You know, I have one poem called Fly and then, and then a, another one that's called Fly Redux. And it's just kind of where it's, it's a constant evolution of your work to not think of a poem as complete as much as something that is a part of you that grows and evolves as you do. Please share another poem. This one is called Surviving Home, which is, you know, the, in, also in my book and is the basis of the title of the book. My father is a shark with a hope chest clenched between his teeth. It holds my brain and heart perfectly. Earthquakes rumble. A castle crumbles into the water. The sea is filled with bones. I tread water, pulled away by a tsunami. The boat in the distance is a crypt. The ocean foams blood. The buoys sink. They leave me wondering where to go. My lungs maintain because I come from light and air. The mermaid is a woman made of music and desperation. I put my ear against her chest and I hear her dreams. A million notes coat my skin and I float above the storm. This uh, is one of the first poems I wrote in the hospital. And it, 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 and it is an example of what I was talking about. I started this poem feeling so desperate when I wrote it. Yes. And then as I was writing it, I just wanted to just pull away from it. And that's why I talk about this mermaid in it, because I needed some way to get out of this poem. Mm -hmm. um, and so I latched on to the mermaid as a woman made of music and desperation and growing up, music was a big part of my life. I played several musical instruments as a child uh, and as a teenager. And those things were my salvation. 
and and I used it in this poem to get myself out of the the hopelessness I was feeling in that poem. You know, to be quite honest, your tale is so powerful. I don't know what to say. To be quite honest. Oh. Yeah, I didn't I know really what to don't. say for myself for a very long time. Oh yes, I can understand that. I can understand that. And sometimes it's good to just sit still or stand still and know. And that's what I'm doing at this particular moment. Yeah, but I will that's ask what you though. I was told too. Yes. Well, oh, really? Sit still and do nothing. Mm. Wow. Well, what did you learn when you wrote this book? I learned that we that this that what happened to me and how I grew up had more to do with systemic learning and things that happened to my parents, that my parents' abuse of me had to do with more with how they were treated as children and how my grandparents on top of them were treated as children and so so on back to slavery. Yes. And I talk about that in the book. Uh, in one of my poems. Well, will you share and that particular indeed, piece with us? I will share that piece with you as, as soon as I find it in the book. Um, <laughs> right. It is. It's probably toward the toward the end because mm-hmm. I I arranged the book in sort of a coming to terms order. Well, let's take a brief break, and as you look, we'll be right back, okay? Okay, thanks. for it. I have a lot of poems in this book, so that should help people <laughs> know that it's worth it. Let's see. All right. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I, I'll I have ask prepared another question. a certain set of poems to <laughs> to go to go over today. And, All right. Well, we can I was, stick with those I if you like. I didn't have that poem. I, I didn't have that poem propped up to go. Right, right. Well, and please share another me. then. 
<laughs> please share another. Okay. <laughs> so, From the order that you have, please share another. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is called The New Hope. Sitting atop the wall in my backyard, sitting out the broadcast with draft notices on TV, Maybe the wall will hold my brother away from Vietnam. Sitting atop the cement block wall, kicking loose dirt from my Mary Janes. Ants scramble beneath showers of dust. Life and death separate between blades of grass. I am balancing atop a telephone wire between tossed sneakers and lost kites and crow's cause. Atop my head sits a squirrel, and in my mouth, blindness replaces sight. Where the sun freezes in my hand, and the moon burns my eyes, and I kick away the crust between my soles, this is where I will find a picket fence painted white like dandelions. So this one uh, I wrote about my oldest brother, Desi. Uh, I remember when I was about six years old, uh, my brother Desi was old enough to be a draft candidate for Vietnam, and he would he'd have this number, and you'd watch the he'd watch for his number on TV. That's how you'd find out whether or not you were drafted, and. I remember like my mother and my father and my brother standing there, you know, looking at this TV and this was when I was living in Inglewood with them. And and I would sit on this wall in the backyard a lot. And while all of these events were happening, I'd run out into the backyard and sit on this wall and and often fell off the back of it and knocked the back of my head. And I don't know why my mother kept letting me get back on that wall, but I would get back up there. Uh, and, 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 and this goes back to the systemic thing that I was thinking about where how black men had so little control over their lives back during that time. And and waiting for those waiting for those um, numbers to come up, I can't even imagine what that was like for my brother. I can't imagine either. And your statement about black men is so true. There's so much that we've got to be concerned about, and it's never easy. Never easy. Never easy. Yeah. What, no. what surprised you most? Yes, what surprised you most about writing the book? What surprised you most? And I would like to know, too, how has your book been received? I think that's a bigger question. Well, what surprised me most about the book is how much I learned about my parents. They've been dead a long time, and it's... And I learned a lot about what it means to be a black person. I, you know, when you're black and you're living this life, you don't think much about it. You just go through your day doing what you need to do. You don't think about 
how how this is a race thing or a racism thing. You suspect that things are due to racism, but when you sit there and you lay out your experiences and and you look at them on on these pages, you can see that what my parents went through and what I went through and what my brothers go through is just pain and just suffering and just deep depression because of the oppression that we experience. Yes. You know, um, when George Floyd died, uh, his one of his relatives was on TV and he said, they're trying to make a big thing about him suffering from mental illness. We're all suffering from mental illness because of mm. 300 years of oppression. Yes. And it is yes. so true. And I, I, I found that t- poem. Oh, you did find it? Fantastic. Yes. It's called Penance. I am memories wrapped in dark skin, absorbed by tissues and bones. The notes I take serve as branded relics of my tribulation. Like a mural painted on quicksand, the mind cannot fix recollection. When there is no palette with oils to mix, when God recalls the art I choose to display without praise, the whips lash as steel-brushed strokes across wrought iron flesh and from fire, learned from my parents and turned from their mamas and daddies, Handed down from the plantation, what will I say? This is my art, inspired by God's flood, his pestilence. The bruises were his marks upon Cain, the blood, the pain upon Eve. I will not ask forgiveness for denying him, just as he will not ask for mine. Wow. So, that, you know... That just speaks to, you know, what we've gone through from the mark of Cain to today. Yes. Well, I was going to share that you're right. When you're black, you don't often think about being black because you know what it is. It's when you move outside of that that you really have an opportunity to think about it, but what it really, really means. So I can really understand yeah. what you were saying about being black. You don't, you don't, you're, you're just black. <laughs> you know, you're just black. Yeah. And you exactly. never have to really think about it unless you're jarred out of that sense of consciousness. Yeah, what do exactly. you hope that readers get from encountering your work? I hope that uh, people connect with it, uh, especially black women. Uh, And I've seen that. You ask me, how is my work being received? And and it is being received rather strongly by reviewers. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, A lot of women are seeing that this is the collection to look for this year. And that means a lot to me to hear them say that. Uh, because this is all of me. I put every single bit of who I am in the, into this work. And I often say if the poetry that I put on the page doesn't frighten me, then I haven't gone far enough. 
And wow. this collection petrifies me. <laughs> this wow. collection let's petrifies talk about, me. Let's, let's talk about being feeling petrified. What does that, what do you do with that? Do you continue writing? Do you start working on another project? Or how do you, how do you manage that? Uh, I manage it different ways. When, when I see a review or when someone is talking about my work, I, sometimes I just want to curl into a ball under my desk and say, just pull me out when it's over. But okay, okay. Lately, uh, I've been, I have started working on a, a new body of work. And so I am I am focused on that right now. Now, in general, does writing energize or exhaust you? Writing saves me. I I and whether that's energizing or exhausting, I can't say. I just I feel relief from it. It, I can, before I put pen to paper, I can have tremendous amount of anxiety or sadness or even happiness is overwhelming for me. I don't know what to do with that feeling. And it has to go somewhere. You know, yes. you know, like I said, when, when I want to curl under a desk, when someone says something good about my writing, it's because I don't know what to do with an emotion like that. Okay. And putting it, putting it down on paper helps me a great deal. Well, how do you handle a bad review of your work? Uh, I, <laughs> I rarely get them. Um, okay. There was this one time I I had this poem uh, that I recited, and that's usually when I'll get them is when I'm live. I'll have someone walk up to me and tell me that they were offended by something I said. Or really? I had this one man. Who, yes. I had this one man who told me he flat out hated this one poem of mine. He walked up to me and said, what were you thinking with that poem? And I said, I thought I made that clear. And he said, it's an awful, awful poem. You should never read that again. (laughs) And I said, well, thank you very much for that. And, and I just took it as his opinion and went. A lot of times when I write, I try not to take it personally because I'm coming from my experience. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that man, you know, that very non-black man can't look at, he can't look at it from my experience. And, and maybe I didn't, if I were writing specifically for him, then I didn't do my job. You know, I, I didn't get him to understand what I was trying to say or where I was coming from. And that's how I see it. I see it as a, as a, sort of did I do the job I set out to do when I wrote this poem, which was to express my emotion in a literary, in a literary way such that other people can understand where I'm coming from. And 
I looked at that and said, well, he didn't understand where I was coming from. So I did not do my job as it pertains to him. <laughs> Excuse me. Now, when you think about your work, your body of work, and this is a really general question, who are some of your influences in terms of your writing style? Huh. Well, I grew up when I was early on in my childhood. My mother gave me a collection of Edgar Allan Poe when I was about six years old. And I clutched that to my chest. I Edgar Allan Poe, six chest. years old. <laughs> yes. I would carry that on the swing set. I felt like such an adult with that book. And I I can't say that I read a lot of the work in there. I remember I loved reading The Spectacles, which was just the most hilarious story in the world to me. Yes. And 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 I carried I carried Poe um, through quite a bit of, bit of my life, uh, and currently, if I think about my influences at this moment, I'm I'm really taking a shine to Audre Lorde. Uh, she was such a warrior, and she herself, you know, experienced a lot of pain and trauma in her life, and and she wrote about it in her work and I love her and Nikki Giovanni has often been a hero of mine and I would pay money to spend five minutes in a room with her. Um, She, she, she inspires a lot of my work as well. You know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians artists, and poets, what do you think emerges naturally from your work? Pain. Uh, pain is something something that I carry with me constantly, emotionally and physically. I have lupus, and so a lot of times I wake up in the morning in pain and I put that out there in my work. Uh, and finding the light is very challenging for me. And yes. and I try to do that sometimes in my work, but my work is very dark and there is a lot of pain in it. And if people have complaints, when people have complaints about my work, terribly dark without any light in it whatsoever. Well, please share another poem. Okay. We will do House at Night. Gold flecked dust ignites and waves I kiss my desert skin. The coyote's song lulls me to sleep before I count sheep. The doorknob will turn before the locked clasp protects me from what's inside. Numb as a tortoise who hides in his shell, I take the bite of the rattlesnake who breaks his fangs on my carapace. I swallow the venom from his lips 
I consume his allotrope skin. I take in the flesh as taffy between my teeth. He dies as I play his song. Papa was a rolling stone. The notes are tucked into a journal. My cracked voice sings. When he died, all he left me was alone. All he left me was alone. Now that's, wow. Yeah. How has your idea of poetry changed since you began writing poems? Well, when I started writing poems, I was very much a, a traditionalist. Uh, you know, I like I said, I clutched Edgar Allan Poe to my chest, so yes. a lot of my poem poems were very you know, very rhyme steamy and formal. But as I started to access who I was and began to become influenced by poems who I had more things in common with, I started to change how I wrote poems so that it reflected more of my voice and who I am as a person. And now I'm more inspired by the things that I grew up with or songs that I grew up with. What are some of these songs that you grew up with? Well, uh, why don't I read a poem uh, that I have here called Aunt May. I'd love it. Aunt May. She cries at the stereo as if it could take her to heaven on the notes of ZZ Hill's down-home blues every other record or two. Uncle Eljo, that no-good son of a bitch, held her heart in a vice. Then he died, relegating him to the beloved angel he never was, fleeing into mangled clouds on shredded wings made of brambles, as if Texas soil were fertile. Hill's throat Pool's note, his voice trickling crude into Aunt May's Los Angeles living room. ZZ Hill is redemption coated in Texas blood. L and ZZ are one. Their crooning calls to her before the song ends, and she restarts. Their voices harmonize mercurial, chaotic as oil gushers, spilling into the fields of Canaan. In the promised land, There are no Negro spirituals, no blues, no white man's hand smiting the black man's face, but there is always a burden for the black woman. She knows this song well, and she plays it again. Down home blues, down home blues, every other record or two. Down home blues. You know, all poets. (laughs) Please continue. Yeah, so um, my poems are inspired by songs that my parents play, you know, my father and my Aunt May, actually, in this case, controlled the music that I listened to as a child. And that means that I'm, you know, I'm inspired by Sam Cooke, I'm inspired by ZZ Hill, I'm inspired by the Commodores, 
and and many other black artists from from the 70s and 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 I also have another poem uh that that people know really well and you can likely find it on YouTube it's called reminiscence and right. with that poem I I play Willie Nelson's Always on My Mind. Oh, really? The poem. And the story behind this is when my father was in jail, um, he and my mom were having an anniversary or a birthday, I can't remember which, and he wanted this Willie Nelson album. And so my mother bought this album for him and for him when he got out of jail and whenever he beat my mother, he would play always on my mind. So I have this poem describing the beatings that my father gave my mother against always on my mind. And when I read this poem, it just tears people apart. And I, I, I would have read it for you, but I don't know um, what the rights are to doing that. So, yes, um, I understand. I, I can't understand. read it for you. Yes. Always on my mind. It sounds, yeah, Katarina, so. like you've been through a lot. And that poetry, as <laughs> yeah. you said, it saved you. It saved you. It did. You know, yeah, as it, I was sharing earlier, yes, all poets have several words that come up over and over and over again in their work, words that they just can't help but use. What are the three of your absolute favorite words to use? Hmm. When, when I was writing this poem, or when I was writing this book, I was told that it it did have some recurring language in it that I used, and I was told to eliminate it. Oh, really? And yeah, they said that I had these recurring themes and words, and a lot of my themes, I, I use pain a lot as a word that shows yes. up in my work a lot. Um, another thing that comes up is God. I will mention God quite a bit. And when I was workshopping this poem with the New York Writers Hotel, they pointed out that I mentioned God a lot and they didn't understand it. So I had to go back and, and revisit, you know, my relationship with God in order to complete this collection so that people could understand why God appears so much in this work. Because that's at this point in my life, statement. I'm not a very religious person. Yes, yeah. that's a, such a powerful statement that you had to revisit your relationship with God. I did. Which is something I hadn't done in a while. You know, when, yes. when you when you experience as, as much in life as I do, you you can have, I think you can come out with two different types of relationships with God. You can either 
grab really tightly to God and your faith in order to get through, or you can feel pretty angry with God about what has happened to you and either deny God's existence or think that God has something out out against you. And I took the latter. You know, my brother, he grabbed hold tightly to his faith. I, on the other hand, felt abandoned by God, and I I talk about that in my work. Um, and and I and I I need to you know I needed to address that and and decide ask myself why why I felt so abandoned. Yes. Did you come up with any discoveries? Any discoveries? Well, I think it was that I had put so much faith into God that God would take care of me and that and that um, the world would work better for me. And I felt like the more that I prayed, the worse that things got for me. You know, like I'd pray to God, you know, please don't let my father come into my room. And the next thing you know, there he is. There he was. You know, or, yes. And while I had to learn that, you know, God is not a magical genie that grants wishes. Uh, God is an, a, re, a resource for strength. You know, you pray to God. To, for contemplation and strength, not to make things happen for you. Mm. And that, that is something that I had to learn in writing this this book. But well, that I, does it sound revelatory. Yes, yes, I can understand yeah. that. Let's take a brief break, and I know we're going to run out of time here, but we'll be right back. Okay. back. Again, I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Katerina Canyon. You're one of the most thoughtful poets I've ever met, Katerina. It sounds like you've done a lot of soul searching in terms of who you are as a person, as a woman. This is Women's History Month. Who are you, Katerina? Do you think you were meant to be a poet? I do. Tell me more. I have always... I have always loved poetry and and becoming a poet did come with a good deal of thoughtfulness and it came from, you know, a point again of desperation where 
I could not find my place in this world. You know, I yes. I I make a I make a horrendous cookie factory worker, a, a terrible maid. All of these things I've done. You know, these jobs. Mm-hmm. I'm not a great secretary, and and I had to sit sit down and say to myself. And I got this advice from a book where it says, sit down and look at your life. Look at what made you happy as a child. What you know what. What do you go to for solace? Yes. And every single time I looked back at my life, poetry was there. And I I talk I told you know I already told you about clutching on to Edgar Allan Poe at six years old, but also yes. I had these collection of child craft books that my mother got me, and one of the volumes was poems and rhymes, and I knew that book cover to cover. As an eight-year-old, I just read that thing every single day, and so, and then through high school, you know, English was my favorite class, and I, and I read poems. You know, I loved Blake and Shakespeare and and all of these poets, and I had to say to myself, and I was writing poetry. I've always written poetry, and I had to say to myself. I'm a poet. That's what I am. And I went to my husband and said, I know what I need to do. I need to do with my life. I'm a poet. I need to become a poet. And he says, why don't you just tell me you're going to go off and chase fairies on the moon? I said, it's who I am though. And, and so he says, and and he says, and how's that going to make you money? And, and maybe it doesn't make me money, but that's who I am, and I can't deny that. Would you share one more piece before we go? Sure. Uh, I will, since we were talking about God before, I'll read this one called My Guardian Angel. When I take this pill, you must go. Sanity leaves no room for you. Remember the smell of biscuits, scrambled eggs and sugar, syrup made by my mother every morning after her beating. Look through the fog and cigarette smoke at the fat, bloated corpse. He must be fed, no matter how hungry you are. Never talk back. He's stronger than you. Angel, you abandoned me just as Lot escaped Gamora. When I am sane, you must deal with this ghost alone. When you reach hell, there will be millions of men who beat their wives and rape their daughters. You will recognize him by the old school shag afro, big belly, gold chain, and the don't mess with Texas belt buckle. You and I will not play hopscotch or make daisy chains, for you tossed my childhood into the fire. Now I toss you. Do not cry. He hates that. I put this pill between my lips and swallow. Wow. Where can readers find your work, Katarina? Well, my book, Changing the Lines, is on um, Amazon. but And my next book from Kelsey Books, Surviving Home, won't be out until December. 
but you can go to my website, poeticcat.com, P-O-E-T-I-C-K-A-T. And if you're put on my mailing list or I can, you will receive a notice when Surviving Home comes out. Well, based on what I know about Surviving Home, it is a must-read. Well, thank you. Open you the door on so many topics that need to be explored. What's next for you? Where do you go from here? What's next for you creatively? Well, well, right now I am working on a collection of work on poems, uh, and I don't know what to call it yet, but mm-hmm. the working title is Chupa, The Chupacabra and Other Monsters, where it is about... Where it's about monsters, monsters that haunt us, things that are considered monsters and are not. The last poem I wrote for it um, that I'm still working on is about the the welfare queen, the woman that the original woman that they consider the original welfare queen, and how she isn't really how she was vilified as a monster. But she's not really a monster. She's a part of this system again that I continually fall back into when I when I start thinking about why society is the way it is or why people are the way they are. Well, I guess the last thing I'll ask you, because I really don't want you to go. I know you need to, but I don't want you to go. <laughs> uh what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society? That's a big one, but what do you view as being our role? I think that we are society's conscience and that it's up to us to be that angel on society's shoulder screaming the right thing. And this is how the world should work. This is how humanity should work. And I think that's our job. I think that's a great place to end. That is our job. I want to thank you so much, Katarina, for spending time with us today. Your work is beautiful well, thank and thought provoking. Oh, you're more than welcome, and you're welcome back here anytime. I admit, I wish you nothing but the best. Nothing but the best. Um, <laughs> you're an incredible thank you artist. So much. Yes. Well, thank to you our listening so audience, very much. I want, yes. <laughs> to our listening audience, I want to thank you again for tuning in. Until next time, take care. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.